Smooth sounds of death by DVD, and I am your host, Harry Scott Sullivan. On this episode, we are going cruising. Oh boy! With me is the Linus Fitness Center and Mr. James Ellis of Weeping Tutor Productions. And what is cruising? What do we have with cruising? We have a movie about a homosexual serial killer who is just absolutely devastating bodies and leaving them all around New York, dumping them in the harbor. And a police captain, he goes to an unsuspecting police officer played by inappropriately poorly cast, should have been Richard Gere, Al Pacino, and he moves into this hardcore underground world of S&M and homosexuality. And the biggest problem with this movie the biggest problem everyone has with this movie is I guess if you're gay, you're just going to become a cowboy or some sort of biker and fist people. I don't know if that's true. The way Paul Sorvino introduces it to Al Pacino was, uh, you know, the, you ever been fucked in the ass by somebody before Sonny? No, but, but like, after, after that, it's, um, this, this is something outside the, uh, the regular gay community. They're into, Heavy leather. <laughs> it, it sounds like something from uh, from Chris Morris' bra- Brass Eye uh, program. Like, <laughs> like, it's like heavy electricity or something. <laughs> but yeah, again, like, um, like the, mm. the history behind this film is fucking insane. Because mm. Friedkin was offered um, to adapt this book um, twice and turned it down. Only uh, agreed to do the movie when he, uh, he found out that... Um, one of the extras in The Exorcist, um, is it Paul Bateson, who was um, a real radio, uh, a nurse in the radiology scene uh, in The Exorcist, turned out to be um, a potential serial killer, having mm. uh, uh, killed a journalist from The Village Voice. Well, he may actually be the, the person this movie's based on, which is even darker. Well, he's certainly one of them, but uh, b- but then uh, who was offered a uh, more lenient uh, sentence if he coped to the the murders of um, several several other like body parts that were found in the Hudson River, much like the uh, the killer in the in this movie is uh, so given it. Killer or killers, yeah, yeah. Um, given the same sort of deal, and um, 
and and I think Bateson is well well Friedkin has said that Bateson Bateson didn't remember whether he'd killed more than the one chap mm-hmm. and I've heard I've read one report where um, he was kind of like down on his luck and drunk and or you know under the influence of other substances and mm-hmm. it was just uh, a case of well, not trying to explain away a murder but um, it was you know it, it wasn't me my lord it was the poppers yes quite. it was the crystal meth <laughs> <laughs> well it sort of plays really into the 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 mixed bag of what is cruising because Paul Bateson also at one point made allusions that he was the the bag killer and throughout the late 1960s to the early 1980s i believe like 69 to to 1979 there was a rash of gay murders throughout new york city where all the bodies were found in very similar fashions their arms legs and heads were cut off and most of the time the bodies were found in different bags what's really interesting though is around this time period there there was a serial killer uh, there's a film that michael shannon stars in about this guy he's a hitman for the the mafia and regularly would would freeze bodies in an ice cream truck and then would leave them their torsos their legs their body parts their heads around different parts of new york city and new jersey at the same time, connecting even punk rock into this, you had uh, Joel Rifkin, the the highway killer. He actually killed the lead singer of Reagan Youth's girlfriend, which caused him to get beaten by the cops. He was blamed for it and eventually got a lobotomy because of that, of the pressure in his brain. Crazy story. Go to Wikipedia. I don't know why I'm telling the fucking story here. Uh, <laughs> Google Reagan Youth and Joel Rifkin. There is a mass amount of unsolved and bizarre homosexual serial killings from I would say 65 to 80 in New York City that suddenly stopped when Paul Bateson was arrested and apprehended and you can visibly see him in the exorcist when you go to the sequence where Reagan is taken to the hospital and they're running all the tests on her he is the like really tight beard short brown hair guy he's the doctor running all the tests I believe when they have to stop and, and talk to Mrs. McNeil about some of the foul language and things that Reagan has said. You you can fully see his face. I like to believe for the sake of this show and downloads that this guy is the killer this movie is based on. And we'll never know. And the uh, anonymity... God, I'm going to edit the shit out of this. The anonymity is what really makes the, the, the entirety of this movie because cruising is built on deception. This entire movie is built on not being able to trust yourself, not being able to trust your own emotions, and, and deeply questioning who you are, which ties it in really extravagantly to the boys in the band because you have a movie that the lead character refuses to acknowledge their, themselves. They refuse to deal with who they are and what they are, and you move into this movie and the transgression moves from positivity to absolute negativity. It's just brutal. One of my notes was, um, like, I mean, this, this movie is 10 years on, and it's just like, what the fuck happened to New York in those 10 years? It looks, it's like, yeah. it's like a fucking slimy apocalypse. Mm. It's fucking horrible. And then it's managed to turn itself back into a place that's so neat you can't smoke on the street or else you'll get fined. Well, yeah, I mean, like, fair play, um, like, early 80s New York is one of my favorite cinematic places to to visit. It's Mm. so fucking grimy, all that. 
it's hard to believe it's a real place. Like it, it's it's really strange to think that this isn't some fictional weird reality. And you start watching all of these movies that even the Italians, people from other countries, had to come over to shoot in the grimy nature of of New York City. Some of the best Fulci films, some of the best Italian uh, horror in general. <laughs> <laughs> like the start of this movie is either the New York Ripper or Zombie Flesh Eaters. <laughs> they're, they're, they're finding body parts in the Hudson mm. River. I mean, I'm surprised, uh, you know, uh, a zombie didn't pop out. And uh... I wouldn't be surprised that that Friedkin wasn't the type of guy to sit and watch Lucio Fulci. Like he really seems like the type of artist that is is visually attracted to other people's art. And I I I would argue that he had to have some sort of acknowledgement of at least Dario Argento because this movie's fucking shot like an Italian movie. It looks like a giallo. It's paced like a giallo. It, it feels foreign. Every single thing. And it's weird that it's not dubbed. Like, you you almost want the dialogue to be a couple seconds off, that it, it would feel right. You need to have, like, Al Cliver. He needs to show up at some point in this fucking movie. I watched Friedkin and Cut the other day. Um, and he specifically does like Dario Argento. <laughs> so, uh, okay, that makes sense. Like, there we go. Um, and and he and he, uh, yeah, he, he praised him for his his irreality, and uh, mm. that that's something he strives for, but thinks he's rarely ever achieved. Um, and uh, fuck, what was the other thing? <laughs> oh, Fulci. Has he watched? Fulci? I don't know. He didn't mention mm. Fulci. Um, what was the other thing? Oh shit, dubbing. This yeah. film is dubbed yeah. because of yeah. the, because of the protests. It had to be, so that lends it a more a more giallo, um, uh, yeah, but, yeah, a, but, aesthetic um, by 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 coincidence rather this, than by design. I'm going to stop you there, Liza. But the thing is, this is a dubbing, yeah, not of its not of its own um, command. Not yeah, of the, the yeah. dubbing is there because the protests were so loud yeah. that they could not use the real. Like you know, the, 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 I, I, you know, I watched this film a few weeks ago, and you know, I, I've, I've sort of racked my brains around it, and you know, the, the cruising was when being made caused a flurry of protests at the time of it being made. Um, did I enjoy the film? I think I'm leaning towards no, <laughs> and I think I think there are several reasons why. I, th- I think it's the I think I I thought to myself this is a joyless experience. I love joyless experiences. <laughs> that, that unfortunately, even my argument, it's like, yeah, no, I completely agree with you. I don't know if I enjoy the movie either, but I really, really like it. I I think something's wrong with me. This is a film, you know, that caused protests when it was being made. This is a film that had Razzie nominations. Let's not forget the uh, although Pacino yeah. was spared that um that guillotine. Um, well, you know, not not to call in my my straight privilege card, but, but I'll allow it. I'll allow it. But um, I I call bullshit on both of those things. Right, first of all, the Razzies can fuck off, <laughs> and like and like, okay, it was probably well. I mean, I mean, the the film could have perhaps been more sensitive given the era in which it, it, mm. the era in which is made, but. Protests in a film while it's being made on based on fucking hearsay. Fuck off. Like, like fuck off. Like, <laughs> like, 
like let him make the film and then if you if you watch it and you don't like it then like protest but sh- that but surely the novel that it's based on no but it's got we- fuck all to do with the novel <laughs> like yeah that's the unfortunate thing when it came down to the 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 split between this is is friedkin chose to use a lot but the character is so drastically different he really almost made it a new feature which is a trademark of himself though even when he takes a play there's similarities but i would i would never say his like the the birthday party the boys in the band is is a fairly straight example but the birthday party is is its own thing he, he was offered the novel twice and then um yeah. he turned it down until he found out about bateson and coincidentally um he knew a policeman uh mm-hmm. uh randy jurgensen who had been undercover in these types of clubs and basically what was the Al Pacino character having sort of lost himself. Uh, didn't Randy tell him that he, he truly questioned his sexuality and, and could not decide if he was gay or straight after this investigation? Something like that. Yes, he did, yeah. Yeah, in a way, or what we, well, what people would say, it awakened yeah. something in him. We might, uh, leading into the Pacino. Um, the question is, is is Al Pacino miscast in this? Uh... I, yeah, I fucking, I really, really, once the second I read Richard Gere, I was like, oh, God, Richard Gere, that sounds terrible. And then I started thinking on it and looking at why Friedkin wanted him. And, and when you look at what this character through the novel was supposed to be apparently in the I, and I admittedly have never read it. The first part of the novel, he's supposed to be a very asexual character. He has had a lot of issues in his life of being a bigot. He's had a lot of problems uh, in in the military. He made fun of other gay people on. Well, I say other gay people because I presume the character is gay, but he makes fun of other people and, and is repressing who he is. Very similar to the character of Michael from. The boys in the band and when we're introduced to this character in the movie he's supposed to be like 29 and we have a 40 year old Al Pacino fucking showing up on screen and he's just a normal guy he's got a girlfriend in an apartment I have no clue how she could fucking afford (laughs) and they they don't incorporate who he is and why it's important we know who he is because it's kind of presumptive of Friedkin to assume well straight straight guy is going to go into this by the end of it, he's going to be gay. How do you know he wasn't in the first place? And what's to say the the definitive nature that he wasn't bisexual? Which fuck every. It's a good thing this was a double feature because the references in the boys in the band. You have a character that, out of all of it, you have one straight person, but you have a bisexual character, and that bisexual character is treated completely differently by the gay characters because of maybe my my idea is he likes women. And that draws into misogyny, which, yeah, William freaking, I don't, I don't think he hates women, but doesn't he like d- him. He doesn't treat them the best. <laughs> doesn't doesn't have a great depiction of of women whatsoever. But I wouldn't say he hates them. I just realized that the, the uh, Al Pacino's character, you know, he's with a woman called Nancy. I mean, is there something in that? That only, that only just came to me. Her, her character. Karen Allen, her character annoyed me a lot. They seem to, they seem to repeat the same piece of guitar music over and over every time she's, every time she's in this big fuck off loft in New York, and I and I'm just trying, you know, I'm pulling my hair out, just thinking like, give, give this character something because you've given her nothing. Yeah, you've given her nothing. 
I thought there was a lot of waste with the character because you have a really emotional scene where Al Pacino has been undercover for quite some time, and and throughout the movie he slowly starts adorning himself with more things from the quote unquote gay fetish world, and he comes home and he's got he's he's dressed like fucking Judas Priest, you know. <laughs> The gay fetish world. He looks like he's an extra in a fucking Rob Zombie video. And he comes home and he embraces her and he says, you know, I, I love you and I don't want to lose you. Please promise me that you're you're not going to lose me, that this isn't going to happen. And then a few scenes later is where she's like, maybe we should take a break. Maybe maybe you should just fuck off for a while. You keep wearing this weird leather, listen to the Ramones, get the fuck out of my house. And they, they completely split and we've been set for like an hour and 20 minutes on, okay, well, this is... Uh, a normal white cis male guy, normal white cis male guy, and he has a relationship with his girlfriend and everything is great. And then he gets involved into this undercover scene and is now, he's he, he's becoming mysterious. He's wearing leather. He's becoming more into S&M. And there's no, like, like, there's no fluidity between I feel what Friedkin's trying to say. Like, I get it. I understand the message you're trying to perceive to us, but you just really make it seem like, no, he went to one leather bar, and now he wants to fuck her in the ass. Uh, what? And that's what they're per- that's what's on screen. It's what's fucking there. But where is any sort of eloquence between, <laughs> between that statement? Like, it just jumps from place to place. And the difficulty with this movie is it's not one person. And I maybe I'm off the hinges here. There's not one killer. It's not Stewie. Spoiler alert, by the way, if you've not seen this movie. It's a different actor portraying the character every time. They're sharing the same voice. It's all it's 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 fucking confusion. It is absolute anarchy. Yeah, and mm. I, and and they all have uh Stuart's dad's voice. And yes, I, and, and, yes. and, and, I, and I thought what, you made well, me do that. Yeah. Yes. Well, like the, the first time I watched You're it, here, I, I, I'm here. Yeah, 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 yeah. The first time I watched it, I didn't even notice because <laughs> I'm and not up to it. Having then noticed that uh, there were multiple actors playing the same role, it, mm. I, I just kind of assumed, oh yeah, that's like you know that's intentional like giallo confusion. It's just like oh you know, mm. it's just like a giallo movie. Like maybe you have a couple of killers. By the end of like like the strange vice of Mrs. Ward, you're like, yeah, I guess that makes sense. <laughs> like you know, you don't care because it looked and sounded cool, so whatever. But you know, I, I I'm going out on a limb here. Well, I guess it's not going out on a limb. The whole point of the show is is us expressing what we think about this movie. I feel looking at changing the killer, and then at the the end of the film, you have a really cool maybe I'm looking into this too much scene where at the very beginning, Al Pacino's character, he's talking to Paul Servina and he gets his name wrong. He calls him Edelstein and his name is Edelson. The end of the movie, he says, thanks captain Edelson. And Paul Servino says back Edelstein. I, I, looking at what we're going through, the killer changes multiple times and they have a very specific outfit. They have a very specific way that we on screen know who the killer is. And as, Al Pacino's character uh, morphs, he evolves, I guess. 
he starts adapting to that. You start noticing he's got the keys, he's got the hat, he's he's got the leather jacket. He is adapting to this look. But every time he is at a club and he's cruising and he's looking for people, we have these same characters that are shown to us. We have Joe Spinell, the rest fucking in peace, the great wonderful Joe Spinell in a movie that came out before Maniac nonetheless which is kind of iconic because he talks about his fucking wife leaving him and taking the kids to Florida and like two months after this movie was shot his wife left him and took the kids to Florida Joe Spinell I was uh, sorely disappointed by the lack of uh, Joe Spinell and Al Pacino action if you know what I mean. <laughs> well, he's, he sees them constantly. He sees the killer. He sees these different people throughout the movie. And, and we see the killer's face in like the first 10 minutes. And it morphs and it changes. And we look, especially at something like the boys in the band, I think there is a, a, a despite being a, a 10, almost 13 year difference between these movies, he's making the same message. And it was just lost deeply in translation. And admittedly, I don't think there's any way that you could look at this movie and not see that there is a, a vicious amount of uh, cultural appropriation, cultural hate, a cultural understanding or lack of understanding, xenophobia. It really is a, an outsider presuming, well, this is what this has got to be. This is what's going on. And there is original source material. This is based on a book. It's 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 being moved and translated through Friedkin. I'm not trying to defend him. I'm not trying to kiss his ass or say, you know, well, this is this is the genius's statement. Because I think there are a lot of flaws with what his message is in this movie, but I think it's the exact same message he had with the boys in the band. If you don't know who you are, how can you love? How can you do anything? And we traverse with Al Pacino's character, and, and at the end of the movie, I feel there's obviously more than one killer. Stewie has been killing, yes, but many people have been too. And it's all about not understanding yourself. From William Friedkin. We've been finding parts of bodies floating in the river comes a psychological thriller. Why don't we take a walk? Starring Academy Award winner Al Pacino. How'd you like to disappear? Go undercover. Disappear? The victim was at about 10 pieces. He's a bad dude. He's a scumbag. You made me do that. Where are you? Things happening to me, you know? A controversial and landmark film. Why don't you want me anymore? What I'm doing is affecting me. About a New York subculture being terrorized by one of its own. This is stuff going down. You know what you have to do. Now I'm afraid. Uh, I saw a documentary that was made, um, Friedkin spoke in it. Apparently each one of the previous victims played the the next killer on screen. Yeah, Apparently, um, yeah. The, 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 um, the, the first killer is killed by someone else in the second kill. Mm -hmm. And then the first victim 
appears as the killer in the next yeah killer. and then yeah. It, and then it kind of goes a bloop de bloop de bloop yeah and then as you you watch, there's a really great scene where Al Pacino is at um, one of the gay bars, and they actually film, to an extent, some of the sequences in a lot of uh, Manhattan gay bars that were really popular at the time. A lot of the stuff that, um, when, you, when you look at other horror films, these same gay bars that were shot in this movie are the ones that Clive Barker was going to when he came up with the idea of Hellraiser. Yeah. Right. Um, and I, I don't know if I said this already, but um, um, Friedkin was mates with the the mafia boss that that ran these. Gay it bars. was, uh, I think, a capo for the Gambino family, and and the dude said to him, "If you're going to make a movie and it's not about what I do, I don't care." And and despite having, uh, despite also being mates with some policemen, uh, um, uh, Randy Jurgensen and. Um, Oh god, what's the other name? Sonny something or other. Sonny Grosso? Randy Jurgensen is is the chap that um went undercover into gay bars. And um uh Sonny Grosso is the chap from the French connection. But um they both consulted on the movie. Um and they're both they both have bit parts. Um when you see the uh the raid on the sting off well the the entrapment operation um, where uh, they have the sort of red herring character um, that uh, Pacino tries to entrap um, the two guys that uh, are knocking the door are real, real policemen. That leads to one of the greatest scenes of the movie where you've got the, the, the big black guy that walks out in a cowboy hat and a G-string and smacks the shit out of somebody who apparently was a real police officer. Yeah, and that's a real thing they did. Um, I think... Um, uh, Randy Jurgensen has explained that as, uh, yeah, they would have a a guy like that walk in and uh, you know that is such, that is such a left field out of left field moment. Well, yeah, that, that, that's, yeah, that, that, that's like... that's the point because because they're trying to sort of intimidate. Uh, uh, yeah. A, um... Well, what you got is it 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 denies the culpability if you're sitting in court and you're telling the story of how the police officers roughed you up and then suddenly you say a six foot five black man in a g-string and a cowboy hat came out and smacked me no one's gonna believe you no one's gonna think that's true so now they can beat the shit out of you they just they just need that big black guy well that well that was the point but um according to uh randy jurgensen like they'd have that guy come in and like look a bit menacing mm. and um and <laughs> and 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 they went to court a couple of times and by the second time the defendant brought it up and the judge told them they needed to get some they need to get a new act but oh, uh, but according to freaking they'd have him come in and just fucking smack the guy <laughs> And it works for what we're dealing with because we've gotten at, at this point in the movie when this happens, you're like an hour and twenty minutes in. You're you're nearing the f- the final sequence of this movie that completely flips it on its head. And I, I feel like we really went into detail with with the boys in the band, which is a, a fairly simplistic thing. But cruising on its own, you 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 have a deeper character study, but it is the exact same character study. You just have to look at. I guess the offensive nature of it is is Friedkin is presuming this is what this this late twenties white guy is going to do when he is is pushed into this situation, and I think overall when you get to the end and the end result of cruising, it is a lot was missed. A lot 
maybe hit the cutting room floor, but I, I feel this is a person who is struggling with themselves and their own sexuality, and they are just one of the killers. I, 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 I see constantly there's a lot of open interpretations to what the ending of this movie is, but I've, I've always felt, and I finished it about two hours ago for the like 39th time of my life, I feel Al Pacino killed the character at the end of the movie. That's his murder. He did that. I have a theory on it, but I don't know if I'm right. But there, there's a sequence toward the middle of the movie where Al Pacino is is sitting with the victim at the the end of the film, and it's a, a person that he. I mean, the character that Al Pacino is playing is an undercover cop who is forced to go into the quote unquote seedy underground of homosexuality in New York City, and he moves into an apartment building, and his neighbor he befriends. There's a, a, a scene where his neighbor, his friend, they're, they're having lunch and they talk about how awful the boyfriend is, which is played by James fucking Ramar, the original Corporal Hicks from Aliens. Good old James Ramar. And uh, we learn that he's a dancer, but he's a little abusive. He's verbally abusive. He's a dick. He's spoiled. And Al Pacino leans in and he looks at him and he goes, you know, well, I, I wish... I could do something for you. I wish I could care for you. And there's this really weird lingering long shot where I think it's it's bad casting, but Al is kind of making eyes at this character. So for me, I, I, I've kind of felt he is he's pushed into this job and he becomes an undercover cop in this super underground subculture he has no understanding of and is questioning himself, but he actually falls for the other guy. He has emotions for this other person. Everything else is on the clock. When he is at all these gay clubs, he is doing his job. It's not homosexuality. He's undercover. He doesn't have to worry about it. But in his actual life and his actual emotions, he begins feeling for this person, and that's why he killed them. Because he couldn't stably deal with that, so he completely destroys the one thing that is his lie, quote-unquote, that he can't deal with who he is. And that's the the last statement with Harold to Michael and the boys in the band. You're a self-hating queen. You can't fucking deal with the fact you're gay. And there's a link to um, to Live and Die in L.A., where it's a, a counterfeit world of everyone, you know, pretending to be something they're not. Performance, yeah. It's yeah. the whole... What was I going to say? Um, I, I tell you what surprised me is the even though the film is considered homophobic in some circles and, you know, I think I'll, I don't think I'll die on that hill, but the, the lack of derogatory language used, you know, the amount of times we could have heard the F word, mm. you know, a bundle of twigs, if you will, is not heard in the film um, as much as I expected it to. I think the, the this is very much as, this is very much a stereotype of, the gay community, the leather, mm. the handlebar mustache, the, well, the... Well, they, well, sorry to cut. No, you go off. on, go on, go on. Yeah, um, Freakin used to have um, uh, on previous releases of the movie. There used to be a disclaimer saying this is not meant to represent all of the gay community. Mm. It's just a particular subculture at the time. And then I, I listened to him do the commentary on the the, the Blu-ray. 
And he's like, I took it off because, like, it's fucking obvious. <laughs> like, you know, it's he, like... He, he said in the documentary, he said, I understood the protests. You know, I'm trying, trying to well, yeah, work like, on the person. I, understood, like, like, I like, understood the protests. Like, like, like yeah. Like and a... he, he's, not, um, he's not angry at any of that at all. It's just like... That's the troubling part of trying to even discuss this movie is you, you have to look at every venue. And I think the people that were protesting this movie were, were in the right and they understood what they were doing. And I agree with them. I think that's fine. And, and I understand why they did that. But you watch this finished product. You look at what this movie is. And I agree with Friedkin at the same time. I, I, I can, for once in my fucking life. I'd agree life, with them yeah, if they waited till the film came out. But, um, you know, protesting a film before it's yeah, There's no such thing as bad publicity, surely. Uh... Uh, like, like, but, you know, just, <laughs> like, like. If you're protesting something on hearsay, that's as bad as protesting. You know, it's like fucking video nasties or something. It's bullshit. Like fuck off. Well, you don't know what you're censoring, and and when it comes to the case of this movie, I I don't want to put words in my own mouth or anyone else's, but I feel a lot of people. I don't mean everyone, but I feel a lot of people that have issues with this film might have issues with themselves, and a lot of it comes down to being angry. I think what you are shown on screen is a vile and wrong and angry idea of what gay people are like in the United States. It, it doesn't have a very nice line. There's one, maybe two lines of dialogue that, that Linus pointed out where Paul Servino's character says, well, this is the underground. You got to focus on that more. You needed a, a, a better discretion. And like you, like Linus had just brought up, sure, there was a former version of this film that stated that discretion. It, it's a it's a hard thing, I guess. It, it's it, you can't be right and you can't be wrong. Fuck it. <laughs> do the do, does do those clubs seem that bad? They play in the gyms, you know. <laughs> like you know, I I do remember there was a very amusing um, article written. I think it was a was it Germany. I think there was an American tourist and he was straight and he visited uh, a very infamous Berlin uh, gay bar a few years ago. And I don't think he realized, it, it might be an urban legend of a story now. I don't think he realized the guys were gay and everyone was just fucking there, you know, and he was like, what, what is this? What, what have I, a pilgrim in an unholy land? What have I, <laughs> uh... but you know, a, a, sto a story like that is amusing because of the sense of innocence and not necessarily knowing but for me, the the story. I mean, maybe I, I could get a bit artsy fartsy, and it, it, you could say it is almost like um, Orpheus going into the underworld, essentially not saving his wife, you know, his, his mm. partners in the loft, but trying to save innocent young men that are dying. I mean, you, you know, you you could also contextualize it and say, oh, the killer, the killer is AIDS. The kill. This is a precursor to yada yada yada. Um, go on. You were going to say something, Linus, when you? I, I... Um. Well. I just skipped to to one page of my notes where it's um, just like how fucking dreadfully the like the police are portrayed as well. Like this is like just everyone is just a fucking sleaze bag in this movie. See, for me as an American, and I wasn't alive in this era, but even in the current era we live in, I I think the depiction of the police that's what it is here. I find it's that's just them. I mean, it was such a fair portrayal where you don't even feel sympathetic of 
they don't try their hardest. They don't care. They're not there for your safety. And especially if you're someone that is out of what they consider culture, you're not ever going to be safe. And he had two policemen consulting on the movie with uh, <laughs> with his mate that was a mafia capo and a fucking serial killer. <laughs> like, you know. That's how it will do. We'll get in the, like, the mafia boss and the serial killer. We'll try and. That's just like, <laughs> like that's freaking through and through. He has fallen into something, um, and a lot of people do. You get old, and, and Peter Steele from Typo Negative. This is a Peter Steele from Typo Negative quote. He said once, no atheists live in foxholes. And I understand the sentiment that he was coming from, and I, I get where that Catholic guilt idea comes from. And you look at, at Friedkin's work, I don't care if he wasn't, a fucking actual Catholic in 1967, he has made that guilt very relevant to everything that is uh, is on screen. Every single every, every single section of his films is is about guilt and feeling bad about something. And then you move into his later work, like Killer Joe. I feel fucking dirty watching it. I, I think the boys in the band is probably his most violent and offensive raw fucking movie of all time. I mean, in The Exorcist, a little girl fucks herself with a crucifix, but the boys in the band made you look at yourself. <laughs> I mean, and who wants to do that? I mean, like Nietzsche fucking said, you look into the abyss and it's just going to look bad. Yeah, just uh, if, 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 if I might be a bit uncouth in the, in, uh, for, for cruising when you uh, the abyss that uh, <laughs> the <laughs> Pacino is looking into in this particular movie is a well-oiled butthole. Oh damn! Oh, yeah. That's a Crisco filled. You fucker! That's, no. that's cruising. I mean, and that's shock. Like, there's a fucking scene in this movie where someone is rubbing their hand down with Crisco, and you don't see the fisting. But why not? I mean, at this point, where was he? Like, cut the camera. Well, he, that, he filmed it all. Like, he filmed it all there, so, so that he could get like the minimum passed by the censors. You know, thinking about Freakin and talking about these two different films, one essentially saves the gay community, the other completely pummels it in some respects. In, in... Does it though? I mean, it's like, you know, it's it's an aspect of the gay community. Um, I mean, an aspect of um, fucking mm. white, well, the, the fucking straight community is like fucking white nerds talking about movies on podcasts. That's not. Everybody. I could never imagine <laughs> such a thing. I mean, I, I think you're onto something there, though. Is, is when you when you look at what the journey of this movie is, is we're we're going through the avatar of someone who is not supposed to have any understanding of this subculture, quote unquote. And by the end of the movie, we wonder how much of a part of it he could have been beforehand. And I, it, it kind of lays into Friedkin having different actors playing the killers, uh, the same voice running the insane time. But you look, there's a, a this 
beautiful scene where, where Al Pacino is sitting at a bar and the guy next to him is wearing the same chain, the same shirt, the exact same haircut, the exact same eye color. And as you go and look at this movie, you watch it two or three times, every single person looks the same. Every extra, everyone in the gay bars, everyone looks like Al Pacino. And, and I, I feel he had a bigger point of trying to portray the loss of identity uh, through everyone almost being the same, and when it comes out into a lost in translation sort of thing, you can't defend that. You can't say, well, this is what Friedkin meant. I think it could have been what he meant, but every, I, I don't think he went out to harm harm the gay community. I think he thought he was a friend of the gay community. Like, I'm doing something good making this movie, and yet... Yes and no. At the very worst, I, I thought he didn't give a shit. And he was just... I mean, in, in his own words, it was just a backdrop for a murder mystery. Yeah, he, he heard about the serial killer and that enticed him. That made him want to to do more of a character study. I I, I feel like I'm, I'm dying on a weird hill here, but even with the boys in the band, I really don't think the, the focal point of what he's portraying on screen had anything to do with sexuality, but he used it and possibly abused it and, and used it in a, in a very bad way, but it presented a pretty articulate depiction of life if you can get past certain things, and that might be... Uh, again, a focal point with Friedkin. Can you get past certain things? The Exorcist. You have to deal with your own contemplation, your own morals, your own life. Uh, uh, to live and die in L.A. could be the exact same thing. Sorcerer, the exact same thing. It all comes down to your own set of, of morality and your own standards and what you believe becomes the contrary for, for Friedkin. We've got to think of this as a period piece, though. The this would not have been made had it been a few years later because of the, the ravaging of, yeah, of the AIDS yeah. epidemic. La Cage au Fall. I believe the first cases of, of AIDS deaths were almost like a year to the day of this movie release. I mean, this is the, uh, the like, predator. This is the horror movie that predates uh, AIDS. And, and Linus had brought up uh, just a few minutes ago, you know, well, these clubs don't sound so bad. They play the germs. But some of the clubs, you, you know, God... I hope they don't serve food. What Friedkin is showing is like, yeah, you go to a gay bar. Well, people are going to be fisting each other by the front door. And he makes this perception that every like every homosexual hangout is going to be this really seedy, cum-filled, dirty fucking place. Well, it could be a Borders, too. You know, it could be a bookstore. It doesn't have to be some really filthy leather-clad bar. And he makes it seem that everywhere you could go in New York is going to be the same thing. But there, there, there isn't any audacity to anyone else. I think it really kind of is predatory to the homo, the homosexual... The, I think it's really predatory to the nature of the character and his homosexuality at, is the reason he's a killer. With that, Friedkin is kind of suggesting, well, my dad didn't love me, so I'm killing people. And we have no elaboration. Like, we don't really get deeper into why one of them are. Well, That's look, why it disappointed, because it didn't establish enough. Why This is why I've been meaning to say, yeah. is that why Pacino didn't... Why why it wasn't fleshed out more. There is ambiguity about, is Pacino the killer? Is Pacino gay? But they could have un unraveled it a little bit more. Go on, fine, sorry. Um, but, but yeah, but but he was making a giallo. It's like, you know, it's it's like, 
I would not have been surprised if someone at the end had said, like, the killer was a sex maniac. <laughs> have you ever called a jello sexist because it's mostly women being? Killed? Oh, yes. Yeah. Totally. Well, they, oh, there, oh, yeah. there you go. There you go. That's, <laughs> that's the point. This is a film where, where all the all the deaths are men, which has got to be rare in... Forgive my... I'm not much of a horror aficionado, but it's got to be rare in the context of this. I mean, you know, we was, know that... There was a, a recent uh, gay giallo called Knife Plus Heart. Um, okay. Sat, set in the uh, world of gay porn, which... Uh, Quite interesting. Okay, well, there's another one I can uh, I can yeah. poke holes in for want of a better <laughs> yeah. expression. I must ask you both: did it? Did either of you watch Interior Leather Bar, the documentary? No, no, I did not. I've really meant to. I, I found out about. I really meant to, and I found out about it today. Uh, I'm gonna interject. Uh, actually, never mind. I was gonna interject something, but go ahead. <laughs> After I start saying it, I realize how bad it sounds. Uh, yeah, yeah. Mm. To be honest, I saw it at a queer film festival in Cardiff going back nine years ago. I thoroughly enjoyed it back then. Um, the reception of it was, I remember it being quite poorly received when I saw it, but I spoke very highly of it. It's James Franco who, you know, even just saying that name now leaves an unsavory. It's James Franco and Travis Matthews, and they basically attempt. Let me catch my breath in this statement to, to recreate the 40 odd minutes of the sex that was apparently burned from the original film. It's an hour in length. I've learned apparently it wasn't burned. Uh, apparently Friedkin has it, that it exists. He just doesn't want to show anyone. Uh, well, no, he, mm. I mean, he, he filmed all that stuff to just get the actual film past the censors by distracting them with the stuff that he didn't want in there. I, I think I think for anything, for, for, for the doc that's made, it's, it's nice to see uh, Val Loren, Los Angeles actor. Yeah. He is very much a la Pacino. He plays the Pacino in it of sorts. The... Okay. I heard that it came down to James Franco eventually calling William Friedkin and the conversation went something along the lines of, hey, what was the 40 minutes deleted from cruising and William Friedkin hung up on him? No, I, I, think, he, he, I think he was more mm. polite than that. Well, by his own account, at least he was, uh, it's like, I don't know. <laughs> like, just like, just, it was just some porn that we shot to get it past the censors. We, um, I, I looked back at my review um, mm. of Interior Leather Bar back in 2013, and I said in it, I've never, you know, this this is, you know, I may regret this statement, but I, um, James, I've never known a straight man of, you know, James Franco want to be gay so much, <laughs> and I think that's that may very much be the the, the dialogue, the diatribe for cruising in itself. Mm. You know, we know now that Franco is, you know, I'm going to say it, problematic, a problematic actor who sure. who um, exploited young students in his... Um, allegedly. Allegedly, allegedly, <laughs> you know, in Minecraft. This is a Christian Minecraft. <laughs> it's a pointless film. The doc It's a pointless documentary. I watched it again the other week. It's an hour of nothing. You, you, you gave us nothing. The only thing of worth in it is just to see Val Lauren, this actor so uncomfortable in as the Pacino character seeing these men have sex and and that's what mirrors cruising that's a bit of what really makes uh, Al Pacino in cruising is he was really uncomfortable with this role in general he 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 was not the first pick for it he wanted 
this role and fought for it, and it, it, it went through with, you know, uh, yeah, you got to use the weight. Al Pacino, this guy wants to be in your movie. So Friedkin got stuck with him, but he was genuinely afraid of, of the subculture he was getting into to the extent that Friedkin suggests a lot of what you you see through Al Pacino's performance is genuine fear that he is uncomfortable. He doesn't know what he's going through. But I, I, I kind of find that hard to believe, especially with a character actor. I mean, even now, I believe Al Pacino is the head of the actor's studio, um, you know, John Casafucking Vetti's actor's studio. I, I don't believe that he didn't go head first into this, and this is a role that seems really, really personal. And I, I looking at between the lines, I guess, I think there's a lot of Al Pacino in this movie, especially coming from, like, uh, the, the Godfather and doing all these movies in the 1970s that he didn't necessarily relate to, but he took a job for. And it's it's a... I, I still agree it's a bad casting point. He does have an emotional performance, but it just seems so vacant. It seems so rare and, and raw that it's not it's not the right type of raw. It's not the right type of performance. He's too vacant. He seems like he could have been in the deer hunter, some fucking Vietnam vet that is is wounded and, and, and mentally not there. He's not a part of this. And you get this one scene where... He's really pumping iron, and he's he's putting on his makeup, and he's getting into this subculture. What happened in between? Like, where was a point where he got into this? There's there's no there's no nice little guideline to allow us to become this character. All of a sudden, it just seems presumptive. Like, well, yeah, you go to a gay bar, you gotta get a fucking cowboy outfit. I mean, who sells those? Where do you get a cowboy outfit? But there's a rig- this is the thing that there's a rigid. There's a rigid set of rules about um, what seems to be the subculture. You know, they establish the um, handkerchief. The, yeah, exactly. The well-known <laughs> handkerchief culture, which I think originated in San Francisco. Excuse me. Could I ask you about these? What about them? What are they for? Well, like blue hank in your left back pocket means you want a blowjob. Right pocket means you give one. The green one left side says you're a hustler, right side you're a buyer. Yellow one left side means you give golden shower, right side you receive. The red one means you say anything you want. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna go home and think about it. I'm sure you'll make the right choice. Which is wild to me. I mean, I don't know if it was a, a director's choice or Al Pacino, but there's a point in the movie where Al says his dick is fun-sized, and then the first fucking rag he picks is pee? I, it just... <laughs> Al Pacino, that, that's cruising. That's what I took from this movie. Al Pacino has a small penis, and he likes he likes being peed on. I, um... I, Linus knows I'm a big fan of um the Ricky Gervais podcast, and they... I mean, that hasn't aged as politically, you know, politically correct. We would, you know, there's a whole conversation about the handkerchief co. They talk about um, Bruce Springsteen and he appears to have a handkerchief in one of the uh, album covers, which isn't true. It was a baseball cap. And even in that, that's 20 years ago. Straight men are still fascinated by this handkerchief code. There is a Wikipedia article. I, I sent it to Linus last night. I had to screen print it because throughout the night I was Googling the, what what's the code, to the extent I started getting gay dating ads on my phone. 
that I looked it up so much. So that's that's the actual perception. It's such a thing. They've given a Wikipedia article to this. And what's hysterical to me is most of them are gang colors in the United States. It's like no one's wearing this light blue rag in their back pocket to get fisted. That gets you shot. You, you can't wear that. Those are Crip colors. This is a period... Oh, this is this is such a period piece. You know, there is Grinder now. Grinder has engulfed the gay community. You know, the hook, the meeting app, the hookup app. A lot of aspects of this film, a lot of aspects of this film don't exist anymore because of the internet, because of Grinder, because of because of things like that. And I can't see that as a as a good thing because I know that a lot of older men in the gay community said, "Oh, those were the days of the clubs." The clubs, the spas, the yeah. saunas. I, I, I don't know that culture. Well, um, I, I think part of the the initial reassessment of this film, um, maybe like 15, 20 years ago, um, was by um, uh, the gay community, like having lived through AIDS and, mm-hmm. and thinking of this as a sort of like nostalgic time capsule of uh, not having to deal with that problem. Mm. I'm stewing. I'm stewing. I'm just trying to. Yeah. <laughs> I'm stewing. Well, James made a comment earlier about culture in general and how there's a, a lot of misunderstanding to what people perceive things to be. And uh, when you look at when this movie came out, you you can really judge cruising as almost to be like the Michael Myers of gay horror. That this is the epitomous slasher because this is almost a representation of AIDS itself. It doesn't matter who the killer is. The fact that Friedkin has hidden that, it's different actors playing it, it's the same shape, it's the same form. Yes, it predates the epidemic and the lack of attention to the epidemic that was AIDS and is AIDS. It's almost a, a frightening precursor but in a human form that you really have this embodiment because at the, the the last shot of this movie is someone clad in the same outfit as the killer walking into a bar while Al Pacino stares directly into the camera it's it's legion it's many and we go into Catholicism with William Friedkin and into the Exorcist but I am Legion, I am many, the whole thing from, from, what was it, Luke, I think, where Christ comes into contact with somebody possessed by a demon and they have to deal with it. You have this interpretation that, in my mind at least, Al Pacino's character is the demon. He he is unleashing this, but he is many. He is many different people that don't understand who they are, they don't want to deal with who they are, and they lash out onto a community for weakness. The, the the killer very clearly has a type. You know, the um the police chief establishes the um the preference of the killer, which is essentially short Italian men. <laughs> so it, 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 it there's there's fetish there's fetish within fetish here. Um I I remember a um several years ago I was sat in a um a Starbucks and two men, I assume gay, were talking very openly about the leather culture. And that kind of blew me away because I don't think, I don't think I'd ever heard anyone talk that frankly about a sort of a gay sub genre. And it was like, it was for me, it kind of, it kind of flushed my cheeks and it was like, oh, jeepers, you know, like this, this is quite liberating, but you know, I'm sort of looking around and no one seems to be listening. It was just me eavesdropping. And again, there's that aspect of performance. And I think, you know, I, I, I've, I have never done a leather bar 
that night's um, interior leather barbers and I think I wore my old uh, Hard Rock Cafe jacket. And that we, we we popped over to the the essentially leather bar in um in Cardiff and that 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 was that was an interesting feeling but it 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 just doesn't compare it, it it doesn't it doesn't have that same vibe and the question to you two guys is really is would would either of you go into a gay leather bar? I've never oh, been to a, I've never been to a leather bar. I've been to plenty of like like gay bars, but I mean yeah, as as William Freakins disclaimer you used to have in front of the movie would have you know they're quite different apparently <laughs> <laughs> but um I mean, he got banned from some of the gay bars that I mean you you've brought up and discussed that that one of his key friends that helped him get this movie produced was a member of the Gambino crime family and owned some of these bars but toward the end of the production of these movies the same bars barred William Friedkin at, from filming or entering them because the just the the amount of protest that was happening it wasn't what he was doing, but it was like, man, you're you're causing people to not come to our bar. You you have to fuck off. Like all of the all of the guys um, in the bars were patrons of yeah. those bars. Yeah. Um, sorry to like carrying on my earlier sentence. Like the <laughs> the only time I've actually been in the vicinity of a gay bar. Uh, sorry, not a gay bar. Mm. I've been playing fucking gay bars. Sorry. <laughs> This is all getting a bit Seinfeld now. Not that there's anything wrong with not that. Not there's anything wrong with that. He's not gay. Not that there's anything. <laughs> but um, when I was in Spain the last time, um, there was uh, th- there was a leather bar which mm. said uh, like, no straights, no yeah. women, and I was. Yeah. There, I, I was there as a straight guy <laughs> with my girlfriend, so it's like oh. no blacks, no Irish, no dogs. All right, I understand. Yeah. <laughs> I do actually remember in. Um, in Cardiff, I we I took a a female friend to one of these bars. It was men's night only, and she was turned away. And and, and I sort of it was yeah yeah. This is the thing is that that's its own problem about um, refusing service to someone. And it's like, and of course, obviously, I didn't go in on my own because I you know I would never do that to a friend. But there are there is there does seem to be this very rigid code of conduct. That, that exists, you know, what you well, saw. It was kind of understandable in that environment to a degree. Um, I mean, I mean, to be honest, like mm. the bars in cruising must have uh, uh, the cockpit uh, around. Yes, yes. Yeah, they, yeah. they might have seen like quite shocking. They, they might have seen quite shocking to the audience at the time, but like. I don't know. Like now, I'd be like, I, I, I'm quite happy. Like just fucking sniff some poppers with, uh, with uh, Al Pacino and dance to the germs. Although, uh, um, uh, freaking did say that, um, um, the the soundtrack mm-hmm. isn't period accurate because they would have been dancing to disco, but he fucking hated disco, uh... and so he replaced the soundtrack with um, the sort of. Uh, sort of punk and punk adjacent bands of the time i actually recorded five tracks with the germs and it, it probably would have been the most illustrious recording that that darby crash and and lorna doom and pat smear had ever really experienced and it came down to another uh i guess you could say unfortunate adventure of punk rock that darby i don't know if that man took a single thing seriously well it's it's condescending to call him a man uh that person i don't think he would <laughs> Personally, speaking of Darby Crash, I don't think he would like to have uh, 
a judged pronoun. I think he would just like to be something. I keep saying he while I while I make this <laughs> elaborate discussion that Darby Crash was like some weird primordial rock that that should never have existed, but at the same time was some weird energy. He they ended up making this production with William Friedkin. It's a really interesting aspect if you're into punk rock and and the germs itself and this transitory period of Friedkin's life, which that's a big thing with the boys in the band. There's a heavy argument about being in a transitory period of your life and never understanding where you're coming and where you're going. Somebody like Darby Crash, a very chaotic, bizarre musician, almost is the embodiment of something like Cruising, that the germs were some of the heaviest predecessors of bringing the the gay and cruising community to punk rock that they adopted and personified a lot of imagery the the heavy leather the spikes the studs the iron crosses the use of swastikas being borrowed from the biker culture to adopt to a more masculine you know we're not sissies you can't you can't step on us and these were weird pieces of subculture that Friedkin identified with and was like nope that's gay people now that's that's what I'm entirely making. And and Linus has brought this up several times. This is the reason why he had this previous thing on the beginning of the movie to kind of tell you this is this is gay people in my world of gay people. It's not real. It's just it's my I- identification and it's not this is this is the particular him. subculture that was, you know, like that the film is let's be honest, exploiting because this is an exploitation yeah. movie. Um, I think William Friedkin met like one gay guy and just decided like this is it. Like this is exploitation movies aren't bad. Like some. Of my <laughs> oh, I didn't say that. I didn't say that. <laughs> this is like you know, and you know, I yeah, it's like. What did you gain from the film? That that's what I'm, I, I'm grilling me, you now. I'm grilling you. What did you ma- gain? It made me feel like shit, and I love feeling <laughs> like shit. Yeah, but I, I, yeah, but there are so many films where I feel like shit, and it's not like oh, Jeepers. <laughs> yeah, they, I mean, there's a big difference. Like, like with Nail and I, um, Linus and I did that a few episodes ago, and I had never seen the movie. I thought it was a fucking BBC series. I had no idea what it was, and I sat down and watched it, and I was crushed. I was just absolutely destroyed by watching this movie, but not for the positive region, reasons. All, all of the destructive reasons. All of the absolute negativity. The the character of With Nail, I unfortunately can wallow. 100% in, but when you move into this film and, and trying to make that relevant, looking at uh, uh, the, the feelings of emotion, I, I can't help but watch this this specifically cruising and not feel pain. I, I look at the, the lead character, I can see a bit of myself in him, and I don't see myself in the killer, but it's more of the expression of, of what you're given by the end of this film, and that last shot of... Al Pacino looking in the mirror, his girlfriend is starting to put on the costume, and the killer, whomever they are, walks away. Everything is absolutely anonymous, even when you hate yourself. It feels uh, like uh, imposter syndrome. You start hating yourself, and you, you have all these things to say, I'm not good enough, I didn't do this, I didn't do that. It's, it doesn't feel like it's you. There's another strange, leather-clad version of you and you have these venues uh, I'm reading into heavily when it comes to this. And you look at the movie and you look at the directions. I, I don't even feel it matters that people died, that it's it's just an expression of not 
dealing with yourself and that this character could never come to terms with it and speaking maybe too much onto William Friedkin, maybe he has never been able to deal with himself, but identifying with characters, like 100% with cruising, I, I, I have to le go with the lead. I mean, Al Pacino's character is a very confused person and I have no absolutions in my life. The boys in the band, I'd like to be Emery. I think he, I think Emery is the, the character who knows himself the most. Is, yeah, they're themselves and they can live with it and they're going to be themselves. They're going to live. I would want to be the person that will wake up happy. And I think that's Emery. I don't think in fucking cruising there's there's no happiness. Like there's no positivity. There's and and I I, I really agree though with James. There's nothing fucking good. There's nothing swallowing. It's it's just yeah. it's, it's just, total plight. I I, I love it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, with, I'm also with Linus. You, I, I am gonna wallow in it and throw it on my face. I love the depravity because that's life. Also, that you can have such a happy hope that things are gonna end well, but fucking when do they? Like, when, when do things nine times out of ten work in your, not just your favor, not to make it about anyone, but in anyone's favor, even looking at wars, nothing works out. D-Day was absolutely scrambled, and it was a, a, a weird, freakish chance that Hitler had taken too many sleeping pills that the United States, the the allied party, or whatever the fuck happened, took D-Day. It's a fucking freakish chance, and a, nothing in life works out. Friedkin manages to just find that one nail next to the one that worked out and hit it, and make you realize, just because it works. This isn't a period in um, sort of gay, gay history? I don't like that term. This is a period which is seeing a resurgence. There's, in the West End... Um, there's a there's a play simply called I believe Cruise, which is getting five star reviews, and it is the same era, but it's London. You know, it, it's the Soho of London, not New York, and it, it, people want to know this um, this time, this bygone era, sort of pre AIDS era, is it? Yeah. I think I, I think it's the year I'm born, 1988. I know it's a little bit after oh, right, this, well, but it's that. Oh, yeah, that, that that's well into AIDS then. Yeah. Let me check on that, but yeah, yeah and it's pe people want to know, people want to um, to digest that era, you know, through romance. I had some friends of mine lived in London for 20 years at that time, and they they survived AIDS, you know, and yeah. and it's they've got their own stories to tell and. Go on, yeah, go on. Sorry, go on. Um, yeah, oh, but yeah, like I love the futility. I love this. <laughs> bad film, bad film. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, it's like Sorcerer, though. I mean, you you look at the ending of of something like that, and you you go through these two fucking hours of watching this prick drive this goddamn truck up a fucking hill, and it ends in in an utmost statement of sentimentality kills, and it's not negative. It, it it's something that is is very weird with William Friedkin. I don't think a lot of, well, not even just a lot of, most directors can't encompass and, and touch the way he does. He manages to show you the most negative fucking outlook on life. But there's there's like a tinge of eh, like and and that's I mean literally like eh, like you can you can move on I guess. Like life's gonna live. You watch fucking Bug. I don't know what you can take from that. I have no idea, aside from the emotion, what the fuck you're going to take from that movie. But goddamn, I mean, it's good. That's it. That's the show. It's good. Fuck you. William Friedkin's great. <laughs> that's well, that's true. Just <laughs> <laughs> um, 
I mean, like that's, that's the kind of that's the kind of guy he is. Like he, he fucking like he he rejects this script twice and then gets interested because um, a former colleague is a serial killer, um, and then enlists the help of his police and mafia <laughs> friends to do. To... I mean, what type? Like that's he's someone we should fear. If anything, William Friedkin at a fucking phone call knows the mafia. He knows cops. He knows every like who the fuck doesn't? Yeah, he and, and, he, and he portrays everyone as they are, which is a bit of a cunt. <laughs> like you know, I mean, I, I, I. There's so many problems with the movie, movie cruising, and it, it's a diving board every time you want to take a statement on it. But the the thing I I really took at the end of this is it, it I completely can understand why anyone could be offended by this movie, but I think more people are offended often than not because they don't understand themselves. There's no connective tissue when you are following this character and you're you're attempting to follow their plight. You're supposed to be doing it as like a a a, a regular white straight guy this is just a normal guy and now he has to deal with this subculture i don't think you can tackle that i don't think you can averagely deal with what friedkin put on screen because he assumes you all to know oh gay people are gonna wear leather and fist themselves and they're gonna be cowboys that's not the the reality it's like a a nightmare world like everything within friedkin's realm is just this this replicant of our reality that is absolutely terrifying and is maybe more the self extensions of what people aren't willing to deal with i think a lot of the extremities and the i i guess what you could call rated x aspects of cruising are from the fantasies of the lead character that this isn't the culture, this isn't the community, this is what this person presumes them to be. And we're we're following the movie through his avatar, so we see society as to what he assumes heavy leather S&M to be. And I, it, it's all open. I mean, Cruising is, is really a perfect movie when it comes to something like this, because there's no fucking wrong. I don't, I don't think anyone can be wrong or right with what they, they have to say about this film. Yeah, yeah that, that's yeah, kind of the problem yeah. with it as well. Is it is it's so open there? It can be, um, it can be read as super homophobic if you want it to be, but. <laughs> and I that's the thing too. I mean, that's a really key word if you want it to be, and and I don't want it to be anything. I've never gone into any movie looking for something, and that's that's really important too. Uh, uh, not just this guy's work, but a lot of things that dance around homosexuality. And it's, it's, I had brought it up earlier with this Harry Styles thing. I don't, I don't know if it was Harry Styles, but it's really bizarre that someone would complain that there aren't, uh, you know, enough appropriate homosexual love scenes in movies and they're more fetishistic based. What, what else is film? Even love scenes with men and women, all of it is fetishistic because all of it is fucking on screen. I mean, I'm not saying it's pornography or borderline pornography. No, but but... A lot of film scenes, sex scenes, don't need to be on the screen. You know, I've had many, many debates with my mother about, you know, what, what, is, the me- <laughs> what is the meaning of sex on film? My mum would, would tell me sex is between two people and not, not on camera. And I, I, just, I completely disputed that. Um, 
I remember uh, what, sat with her last year or in lockdown watching uh, Don't Look Now. And that infamous, yeah, yes. And, and, and that led to a very blazing argument between the two of us. And, you know, that, I'm, that, I'm trying to watch this brilliant film. Yeah, and she's tutting uh, and fussing, you know. That's, that's very interesting. Um, but I mean, because I mean, the way that it's intercut with the um, them just get going on about their lives is a very mm. sort of naturalistic view of that kind of thing. It borders on looking like a real sexy. Yeah, 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 yeah. But but in but not in any sort of fascistic or pornographic or sort of exploitative manner. Really, it's just like it's just it's kind of a. Well, we come to it. This is the thing. My mum would take my mum would take offence to things that would be considered uh, sexist, anti-feminist. I mean, she was always against page free in the sun. Well, yeah, okay. uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, no. I mean, I mean, yeah. I mean, we come to it, but when it comes to. St- it's you know it's a, it's a generational thing. My mum yeah. would take offence to things that are aimed at women. I could, I may take offence to things aimed at gay men, but I I could also take offence to things aimed at black people or or women, but without without being a uh, a white knight for that um, yeah. group of people. I think to a, a little bit of of favor in Friedkin that with cruising he does treat love scenes rather realistically and and my example is the the first murder in the movie that it, it's not abnormal that you have one character that has has stripped down and embraces the other and it's a fucking gorgeous scene it, it's just beautifully shot there's a mirror in the background and it's perfectly centered and you see them embrace and they kiss on the mouth and it's it's very uh, invocative it's hot it's a it's a sexy scene these two people are starting to get it on there is no difference that one is not a, a, a female there is an absolution to love scenes with William Friedkin and uh, to live and die in LA I think is a really great example of that because the love scenes aren't love you can see while watching that movie when William Peterson's character is fucking someone that's all he's doing he's fucking them he's just coming there's no love there's no emotion there's no connectivity he's a very barren uh, he's he's a pleasure-based guy he's fucking He's not making love. And with with that very first scene in Cruising, I think it's a love-making scene. I think it's so invocative. And then you've got such terror, you know, uh, and, and that's even the words. Aren't you afraid? Are you afraid of this? And he stabs someone in the back. And we, we move into this very anal-retentive subject matter with the movie. And I think it's encompassed at the beginning that the killer stabs him in the back, that he does it as the same act of sodomy, the same thing he's afraid of, the same thing that he thinks is offensive. This character is offended by being a homosexual. And that's Michael and the boys in the band. He can't live with it. Now we have these two extremes of the subject matter of this this white, straight guy going, well, this is one side of being gay and this is the other side of being gay. It's not exactly real. It's just cinematic. I don't think there was... I don't think there was harm intended. I think Friedkin just really wanted you to feel. I think he wanted you to not feel like yourself and be afraid. The difference is, is in the boys in the band, he was, he was, you know, well, he's, he's adapting a stage play. He's making a drama and he's making you care about the characters in cruising. He's making a horror movie, an exploitation movie. So he's, Mm. he's, he's exploiting the elements for maximum unease rather than you know rather than you know the the sort of 
universal feelings that we've all said we had with the boys in the band. Forty years later, we still have people very, very, very mad about this film. But I think I think a much younger, a much younger audience need to see this film. You know, the the, the Gen Z, the TikTok generation. I think we know what the response will be. But I would be very interested in seeing some, some not, not ripping apart. That might not be the right term, but some, some, some analyzing. You know, I spoke to you earlier, Linus, about you know YouTubers that would deconstruct queer cinema queer tv you mean you mean cruising cruising yeah yeah and um the boys in the band i think that one film in many ways went under the radar the other is reached such a plateau of offense and uh, scandal if you will yeah it's quite it's i I think i said before it's it's quite interesting the the path cruising's taken is um the thing is with cruising is what 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 shocks people is it the depiction of homosexuality or is it the murder i mean are you offended and shocked by the fucking fisting i mean because there are some really raw and and guttural things that are shown to you that Friedkin threw at you and i think that's a real question with people that are offended by the movie are you not are you are you upset because of the murders? Are you mad because the movie is stating pretty much my daddy didn't love me, so now I'm killing people because I'm gay? Are you mad because there is a great deal of homosexuality on screen? Yeah, but we also see one of the killers. Yeah, you know, I made a note with this. One of the killers um, in this little dorm room plays the piano, and you know he has a flurry of books on his he, shelf. He's a he's he's a musical theater theater student. Exactly. <laughs> Another stereotype, but <laughs> don't kill me, James, uh, um, please. <laughs> oh God, here we go. I feel like there's some there's a lot of Freudian, you know. I mean, yeah, I mean that's that's the one book sitting on his bookcase. When you pan out, is um a uh, Young's whole piece on the the distinction between psychology and what could possibly be psychic interactions. And that's that's a really interesting thing because you would go Freud. You would think it would be directly related to the whole mother and he can't be uh, who he is because he's effeminate and you move into this whole father-esque thing. And the father is a character that doesn't even exist, that he's been writing and that, what, the the third act of the movie, we, we get this bomb dropped on us. But the same sequence you're talking about with the piano, the, the book sitting on his shelf was young. And I really thought that was a, a deeper point for Friedkin showing us. It, it isn't all about psycho, psychoanalysts. It's not all about what you perceive, that there's much more on a deeper level. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. Like, I, I kind of, well, what I like most about the film is the ambiguity there. It's all just a fucking mess and, you, and you're never going to know. And, uh, you know, uh, yeah, I don't know. Like, uh... <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's how the boys in the band ends, though. It's the utter, absolute beauty of ambiguity is the door closing. And that's what you have with, with cruising is the door has closed on the case. We we know that it's not going to be further investigated. And this this one last murder, this slaying, this this brutality that doesn't fit into the other ones has to be from hate. Because because it was you know f- for not for the viewer but for the characters it was a procedural, and they had to um, find someone to answer for these crimes, and and they did um, maybe by a. 
as happened in real life, a sort of plea bargain to commute mm. their sentence by getting them to um, admit to more murders than they may have actually committed. Um, but then mm, more murders are going to commit, going to get committed maybe because they didn't solve the murder, or maybe through, or, yeah. or maybe through, in through the methods they investigated the murder, um, they led to more fucking harm than good. Yeah, I mean, the, 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 like you said, you the, the police in this are, you know, we would say bent. You yeah, know, the, yeah. The, in the Britain, we say a bent copper. You know, is is a corrupt policeman. You know, bent can have many different kinds. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, you took the words out of my mouth. The the um the characters um the characters I won't say though who were the characters not in I mean, they would say transvestite back then wouldn't they the uh well in we, the car we, we, we can say trans I think the trans characters yeah. you know they they didn't get a um their their story wasn't wrapped up no they say no, oh the policeman yeah, yeah. won't leave us alone yeah will no. we find out we never do. Uh, you've got, I mean, it's a really gritty piece of the film, though, and you've got the, the DeSimone character that, uh, to me, almost is a nod to New York cinema. I don't know so much, and this is just a, an opinion on it, but I feel Friedkin was, was doing almost a fan favor, a fan nod of, of New York people and being able to cast who he cast in such a guttural character. It was just like... It's an actual and absolute personification, and it's not just New York cops. I wasn't there at the time period, so I can't speak for it. But, I mean, this is a movie that came out a year before Maniac, and and when Maniac came out, you still have the... I mean, Joe Spinell's character is... He skins fucking women's hair, scalps them, and slaps it onto dolls for his 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 own love he he is a norman bates weirdo character and there's not a lot of difference between this movie there's a lot of similarities between the i mean uh maniac is is a a brutal brutal motion picture but this one has such a soft touch that you can kind of move in between both of them and see the similarities between the character and that movie is somebody that uh you know, was abused young and is addicted to being taken care of and, and can't deal with reality aside from that. And you you look at this era of New York and New York filmmaking, it only makes me wonder if Friedkin was, was attaining to making a, a style, that he was trying to shoot something that looked like something he really liked. I said before it like captures the uh, early 80s New York grime and then uh, it sort of, um, you know, predicts everything that came after in the next couple of years, mm. like like Maniac. It really feels like a predecessor. Like, this is the archetype for American neo-slashers. Like, he, he kind of, Friedkin set up the, the ball for things, but he abandoned it quickly thereafter. Yeah, it's like... Um... Well, I mean, like the Giallo is the predecessor of the American slasher anyway. So this is the American Giallo predecessor of the American slasher in a way. But it seems like it's the one and only. I mean, I, I, I don't know many other things that I could really argue and fight and say, like, this is a Giallo. This is a, a, a primordial Giallo. And this is 1980. I mean, I, I, I regularly will say that Argento's last great picture was opera, and we're looking at 80, 88, 89 there. We got 10 years before the death of 
Italian cinema, and somehow Friedkin managed to do it better. Maybe, would you say maybe uh, White of the Eye is a uh, American Giallo? That puts us in what, like eighty six? Yeah, at least maybe. I mean, it's uh, to the mid eighties or so. Uh, the the strong bodied nature of what Italian cinema was came to die, and and this seems to me like. You've you've got a couple like Cobra. Um, there's there's a lot of weird neo kind of uh, giallo films that that come into American cinema, especially things that were made by Canon. But I don't think anything stands out more. I mean, even looking into the depths of the 1970s, and I'm not gonna fucking compare this to something like Deep Red. But when you look at the story that is involved, it's kind of I would go with this over Deep Red. I sound like an asshole, but yeah, I I think I'd pick this. I I'm more, I'm more lost. I I I know what happens at the end of Profundo Rosso. I don't know what the end is. This I it, this seems more terrifying. It seems like I'm left with, an a non absolution that will make me wonder as to where Deep Red the story's been solved. And I'm using it as just comparisons for the sake that. It's the same terror. I mean, it's fucking the same. But m- mind you, it's 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 kind of a, an extrapolation of the same sort of theme because like you watch like those Argento movies and the or a giallo giallos generally and the uh, the resolution is so fucking batshit that you you're like what? And you, yeah, but you're only and, for and, the journey and, with giallo. Oh, yeah. oh, exactly. Yeah, like, absolutely. And, and, and you are with um with cruising, but like um like. So it's 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 the same sort of sense of, well, either I I I guess that makes sense and I ever accept it, or cruising takes it a bit further and it's like, yeah, but it doesn't make sense, so does it? And well, like what? nothing does, and you don't. Well, what, and like what, what, what? And what the fuck was this all what, about? Well, exactly. <laughs> what what I wanted to do was do a post mortem of the film. How, <laughs> did I take offence with the film? Not, not really. But the, I, I think maybe the, the end of the film, because of the ambiguity, implies that Al Pacino may or may not continue the chain of the homophobia. I was like, oh, I've established something in myself that I don't like. Yes. This has awakened something in me that I don't yeah. like. Yeah. Let's get a killing. <laughs> and I, and I, I, I think that that's where the film... It, I, I, it, and, he, and he kills the... The sort of most innocent person in, see, I, th- in the film. See, potentially. there's a part of me which thought that the mm. the boyfriend did the killing. Well, he may have done. Yeah, that, that's where I. Yeah, because that fight scene between them yeah, yeah. was very unsavory yeah. between Al Pacino and, 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 yeah. and very sort of like like sort of out of left field. I mean, like that, yeah. that, that has nothing to do with the plot of the movie. Like you know, other, no, other, no. other than that. Like that. That's why I can't help but but wonder if there there needed to be something more between Al Pacino and this character that they were connected, and and underlining with the movie maybe this is is one of the few examples that he struggled with his sexuality and actually felt off the job. Like when I'm doing stuff at the bar, I'm I'm on the job, and then he's with his neighbor, he's with them. They're they're feeling a connection that he's not familiar with, he doesn't understand because it's with another man and that's why they have to die. That the one person that he actually showed himself to and connected with, he, he could never risk that. 
He can never risk his job or the gold star becoming a detective. He can never risk the relationship with his wife that he had relations with this person. Pretty much the 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 character that Al Pacino is playing is is under heavy constraints because he doesn't understand who he is. So what we're being given from the perception of William Friedkin is just a complete lack of understanding. We have to look at like this this relationship that he he the first fight with his neighbor he doesn't do anything about, but he is set at the bar with them. He is he's listened to them. He has talked to them. He's identified with them. I think. It's it's Al Pacino that kills the last person because that's who he identified with. That's who he had a relationship with, but it wasn't part of the job. When he was at the bars, when he was on the clock, it wasn't gay because he's a cop and he's undercover. This is when he was gay. He had another relationship with a man and, and loved them and he had to kill them because no one else could know about it. He had a girlfriend, he had a job, he's gonna get the, the gold star, he's gonna become a detective, he's gonna move up in the world, no one can know that he's a queer. And he had to cover that ending, which restarts the hatred and the movie ends in that same shot that we begin with. You have the tugboat moving across that river in New York City, and the movie ends in the same way it began, kind of perpetuating that the system of abuse, this abuse, this death, this murder, this hatred, this anti-love, not being able to accept yourself will will continue, which is ironic that this this predates by a year AIDS, which further pushes the black fucking leather-clad killer, I mean the perfect giallo killer, it's AIDS. Unironically, I mean, it wasn't intentionally, but it fucking... And people say that about Ramiro, like Joe Bob Briggs has a... A big rant. He did it on one of his last episodes of The Last Drive-In. That of Living Dead isn't political. George Romero didn't mean to do it this way. The guy that played Ben wasn't supposed to be black. That doesn't fucking matter now, does it? He is black, and it came out the way it came out. It didn't mean to be that way, but that's how it fucking came out, and Night of the Living Dead is one of the most triumphant fucking pieces on racism created in the 20th and probably 20th 21st century you can't fucking change it you might have not meant it to be that way and that goes specifically with cruising i think he friedkin made a movie that is is so expressive of fear of the unknown people hate it because they're afraid of the unknown but what about, what about the people that know the unknown and take offense anyway <laughs> Uh, we'll give them credit. They're right. <laughs> if they've been there, I can't. I can't argue it because that's the 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 weirdest dichotomy with this movie. You, how can you say anyone is wrong with their emotions? How can how can no, no absolutely, absolutely. Argue? You know, I've often, you know, I've often taken friends and family to performances or a film, and one of us leaves despising it, and the other leaves completely ecstatic, and we're both we're both right. You know, if that's how you feel, that's how you feel. You've got to, you've got to give the other person their due. You know, I, you know, I knew, I knew tonight would, um, there would be some. Well, I mean, it's 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 one hundred percent agreement because I don't think anything I'm saying is wrong or right. But you you can't split this down the middle, and especially the subject matter that William Friedkin has presented with both of these movies. And I think it's what makes both of them really unique in his catalog that. So many like like sorcerer. It's open and closed. The Exorcist. It's it's open and closed. I even some of his really. He made some some very bizarre, uh, like overly American patriotic. I would say 
just just absolute propaganda films in the late 90s and it it's very bizarre where his political stance takes him and i think he with intent wants to provoke people into feeling emotions that they normally would think is wrong and his subject handling with cruising makes it seem like well gay people are bad and they're going to kill people and I, I there's no way to cover it up it's on screen and i it's 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 like a fight uphill trying to to fight for this movie. Like, no, 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 it's not offensive. But yeah, no, it really is. Um, well, I I wouldn't say it's not offensive, but I think mm. like, um, well, I'd say as portrayed in the film, um, uh, I'd say like the fucking police are the bad guys because like, like, uh, I mean. Well, there was a case that was part of the backstory of this, um, which is what um, uh, Randy Jurgensen went undercover to investigate, was um, a couple of cop, well, a couple of fake cops, as it turned, mm-hmm. transpired, that were shaking down um, people in this scene and um, like robbing them. Um, but yeah, in in the movie, it's 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 actual cops. It's um, uh, Joe Spinell and Mike Starr. Um, and yeah, and like the police are shown as like fucking assholes and they're only investigating this murder because they're obliged to. And um, I don't know, like maybe Paul Savino's character is a slightly nicer guy because he looks fucking sad as fuck the whole time. <laughs> like, but um, like, like. Like Pacino's character is 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 a kind of he's kind of a blank slate, and as he goes through, he's like he doesn't know who he fucking is, and mm. it and it's not so much about is he gay or is he not gay. It's just he doesn't know who he is, and he's and he's let this situation fucking like uh, well just twist himself all up, you know, because because he thinks that's fine so long as you pursuing this what he thinks is a a fucking righteous mm. goal um so yeah i don't know mm. like i i don't think um i, I think i've heard freaking say like um uh the reason he chose like the leather bar and stuff like well you know, partly because mm. it's an exploitation movie and for the time <laughs> it was an exotic setting <laughs> bold daring new yeah, yeah you know yeah. like you know like a freak show of some respects like well that's no. the word i be that's the phrase i've been trying to use some time and that's that's really what it seems at, at some extent that he uh, i mean when you look at what he's projecting that we see it it does really feel like he wanted to show us a freak show like th- this is have you ever been to a gay bar this is what they do and it just doesn't feel like it's it's our reality it doesn't feel like it's a real world that we're living in like some weird 1940s nor world um i god yeah i can't think of the name of the movie it's by alex proyes the the film he did after crow um dark city fuck it 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 really it seems like a a fictional universe and the the movie dark city you've got this uh, eugenics almost product that's being set up by this fictional uh, experimental race that is 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 creating a new race that is us that's living within this us as human beings in this f- weird world that lives in space and 
it seems to me like the the universe, especially that all of Friedkin's films take place in, are in extreme universes. That whatever the idea he's focusing on is going to be the biggest perception that runs it through. We don't have a Marvel hero, but in the case of this movie, it's homosexuality. That he is using the most extremities of homosexuality to drive his point, but yet none of his point has anything to do with being gay. He just, he abuses it almost, but he, it, it's, it's not a faulty thing, but it's like he, he makes whipping boys out of his subject matter that isn't the subject matter. A generous reading of this movie could say that if these kind of environments were as socially accepted as they mm-hmm. were now, like, dudes wouldn't go around killing people. <laughs> yeah, but what about... <laughs> I was going to say Jeffrey Dahmer, but what about... Maybe that's an exception, but... Yeah. Killers kill. My, well, that's my mum told me uh, the absurd. That's a whole other thing. But my mum told me she was terrified of the Yorkshire Ripper, and she lived in Wales. It's like, oh, hang on a minute, it's a bit of a trek. <laughs> <laughs> he's not ca- expensive, like, you know. He's not going all the way down to you know. It's like, well, I'm going to stop you there, mum. It, it's not. There's no rationality to to to, to murder, but that's true. And even uh, and, and, go and, on. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, and, and and that's a good point because. There's no rationality to murder, and there's no rationality to this fucking movie. Well, that's, that's kind of the problem with it, is they try to rationalize things. That the, the third act of the movie, they give this weird backstory of, well, no, the killer didn't have a good relationship with his dad, by the way. And it does get like reminiscent with shit like Jeffrey Dahmer, and it, it makes no sense of, like, I don't give a fuck. He was just killing people a minute ago. I don't, I don't, I'm not sad that he's sad. I just need to know that he's killing people. That's what made the separation with the film and then you slowly start to involve the subculture it just overwhelmingly seems from Friedkin's standpoint that it's the subculture that makes you kill people and that I don't think that's what he meant I don't think that's the the ending product a lot of the glory with this is you don't at the end of the movie know who did half of what it was it's it's in his mind and Friedkin's portrayal was imperative and a very, very important aspect to watching this movie to understand that it's not one person. But the movie doesn't lead you whatsoever into the uh, place to be vulnerable enough to understand it's more than one killer, and I think that's a fault on editing and direction. It, it needs to be pushed that it's not one guy. That the final scene... Um, uh, well, well it's, it's it's apparent from subsequent rewatches, and... Uh... And I, I, I don't know, like, I, I, I kind of find it interesting that the um, uh, the reveal of the, well, the, the killer that's caught is mm-hmm. a very sort of typical giallo type explanation. Like, you know, like I said before, like, Papa. Yeah, like, yeah. like bar beyond him saying that he's a sex maniac or something, which is the, <laughs> the giallo like mm. uh catchphrase for that sort of thing is uh yeah he's he's, he's, he's a crazy he's, sex fiend and he's yeah, on the loose and yeah yeah he's just, yeah, yeah, just, yeah just some chap that like uh <laughs> ha- had bad relationship with his dad and uh yeah yeah but what about all yeah no <laughs> <laughs> for me where, where the film sort of maybe the perhaps the final nail in the coffin was pacino you know having a shave at the end and just just turning towards the camera and it's like I just thought to myself oh you've lost me 
you've lost me. You've lost me in that moment because I I I didn't need that. I didn't need that nudge. Mm. I didn't need that nudge. I mean, maybe we we've established that it may or may not have been Pacino killing the neighbor. And it's so ugly with what you were left with before that is, I mean, it would just be absolutely perfect to his girlfriend trying on the hat and putting on the, the clothes and then it cuts right there. Move to credits at that point. And there's no necessity for the mirror. You're allowed with Paul Servino looking pretty much at the camera the same way that, that Al, Al Pacino does realizing you know he knows the error he knows who the neighbor was there's enough for you formatively as the audience to understand that the next kick was almost like a dirt into the face of him staring breaking that fourth wall and it's it's cool i mean it's like the great train robbery when he when he shoots the 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 pistol right at the camera i understand you're you're breaking what we're supposed to be participating in but by doing so, you've kind of ruined the sympathy of the character. I, I don't care about him anymore because now I know Al Pacino fucking killed someone. I, I want the, the 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 almost innocent, mischievous nature of not knowing. That, that beautiful murder, you see the blood everywhere. One thing you can tell by that murder from the beginning of cruising to the end is whomever killed the person at the end wasn't the killer at the beginning. It's a different style of murder. They didn't cut them up. They didn't do the same thing to the potty. It's not the same penetration. And they didn't stab them from the back. So you can see it's anger, it's rage. It's not being able to compose yourself or your thoughts. And it's the escapist route that Al Pacino's character took. We didn't need it fucking spelled to us. Looking at the camera just gave it away. We needed that animosity. We needed to, to be afraid that this person could still be out there looking into the camera kind of told us like, it's you, you hate yourself. Like, yes. It was I you know. all along. It's like, Oh Jesus. I didn't need that. I, 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 I kind of, I kind of like it as a typical freak in touch though. Cause he, he, he does the same thing in to live and die in LA. I, I like it more in to live and die in LA though, because I mean, you, you get that, that topsy turvy ending that no matter how bad things are, if you prevail, it'll work out. And then you've got like Sorcerer, which is don't ever be sentimental. Each thing is like another lesson of not loving people. <laughs> That's William Friedkin. Don't love anyone. Mm. Uh, I don't know. Um, I don't know. Like, uh, well, the the way he explains it is uh, by the end. Pacino doesn't know who he is and he's looking at you and he and he's like you're just stabbing and he's like do you know who you are like like what the fuck's going on and for me like the end of the movie just makes it seem like yeah I'm going to the gay bar like it it he he has slowly started incorporating his little wristbands and uh because apparently according to William Friedkin there are only two types of homosexuals cowboys or leather patties <laughs> And he brings in this, like, persona, and that's the end of the movie, of, like, I want to be this way, and I'm going to do this and kill people. And that's looking, that's to me that last look at the camera of, like, this is it. What do you think? I, d I just don't feel there's there's anything in that. You've told us too much. I mean, that's what makes fucking uh, Sorcerer so beautiful, is you've got that, 
overshot looking down at everything and you know in those moments that nothing is going to work out right. You know from the very first second of the movie nothing is going to work out right. Which kind of retaliates in this film because the very last shot is returning us to the tugboats. The murders are going to, the bodies rather, are going to keep being found. It's not ended. We we see the same thing we began with. The Exorcist ends the same way. It's, it's, a, it's a perpetuation of self-hatred to an extent but i think there's more to it but there's a there's a glimmer of hope in um the boys and the boys in the band the cru- cruising i think cru- i usually say this in reviews cruising cruising puts too many cards on the table the boys in the band has the right amount of ambiguity intri- intrigue that leaves as, as a conversation start yeah okay so so I don't know, like, Cruising does lay its cards out at the end, but, like, the rest of it is just, like, what the fuck? <laughs> like, mm. So, I kind of, I don't know, I, I kind of, I don't know, maybe I'm, maybe I'm too stupid to read the end of Cruising for what it is, but uh, I don't know, I, I, I dig the whole as, uh, you know, everything's a mess, this is an anti-procedural where we're going to mm. catch... A possible killer but maybe create another miss a bunch of others um tie murders to someone that maybe didn't do them or did do them i don't know and then um and then the whole cycle is going to start again and you know well it's a lot of mishandling you you make people feel that they need to be afraid that they are not normal you you treat gay people as if they're some sort of animal and I think a lot of this provocative, provocative nature of what cruising is is exploiting that definitely, but using that example of you're afraid of gay people, but there's no difference. They get married and they have homes and they love people and they live and they go to work and now all of a sudden they're serial killers because you don't understand the culture. And the translation with what the beginning of the movie is to the end I think is just lost I think it comes down to uh, I wouldn't say bad editing but not being able to make the full extent of the product you want to make I think a lot of of what Friedkin needed to be in this movie was removed and he didn't get the chance to say it but that still doesn't defend the product I, I, I will still at the end of this I just don't understand his depiction of one second you're a normal cop and now you're a gay serial killer. You It's it's like uh it's like Al Pacino went out into the night and got bitten by a weird gay and now, <laughs> and now he's uh you know, now he's a Oh <laughs> yes. yeah, yeah. It's like a Christian youth minister wrote up what they thought would happen if you went to a gay bar. Like, this is this is it. This is what's going to happen to you. And it's like a weird warning. It doesn't seem like there's... And, and it's bizarre. It's the same guy that did The Boys in the Band. One movie seems to be over-encompassing and accepting, and the other film is, is almost a degradation and a disregarding of it. But when you when you narrow it down and you look at the, the, the driving points of both of these films, you've got the lead character, Michael, with the boys in the band, and then you've got Cruising, and you look at Al Pacino's character, they're one and the same. I think they're an extension fully of like an evolution of the character. It's someone that is so filled with self-hatred, you don't know what they're capable of. But um, 
I think on the other hand, I think the the point that Freakin was trying to make is not so much about like Pacino's sexuality is is about um someone living a counterfeit life like the characters in To Live and Die in LA where by the end they've completely lost themselves to it and they don't know like where they are. Mm. Um and uh and, and he based that on um Brandy Jurgensen's uh experiences of um doing the same sort of stuff. But but, but I mean but he's taken a <laughs> a a far more exploitative um sort of take on on that material you know because to my knowledge uh randy jurgensen like never you know killed anybody <laughs> i mean look i've been slumming it on wikipedia and there seems to be this is um news to me but there seems to following the release of the film there did seem to be some oh, right. i'll say hate crimes there oh, seems uh something in uh one screening involved a uh, a man going in blazing a submachine gun and killed two people really um the the screenwriter for philadelphia you know the tom hanks film claims his boyfriend was threatened with violence by a group of men who stated cruising was their motivation oh. i didn't want to crowbar that in but i think that also needs to be um sort of recognized as well things like that happening holding up a mirror to the events of the film but also igniting the the uh, problems with the film yeah i don't know like because like although it's and it, and it, like it's clearly an exploitation movie um i mean yeah, but don't I, encourage people don't encourage people yeah to... yeah but, but, but <laughs> I, I don't i don't see that it does really i mean i don't you're surprised I mean, me. <laughs> well, no, 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 no. I mean, like, like, you know, like, I mean, well, I, I, come on. <laughs> I, 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 other than the um, slightly odd, um, like, uh, like possibility that um, Pacino could have been exposed to this and then, you know, become become a killer. I think the problem is is you're allowed to have almost. Uh, a road to hatred with this movie the the way it begins it it really makes it seem like if you go to one gay bar all of a sudden this is going to happen to you i mean he 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 is undercover for a day and then we have this scene of him working out and he is doing eyeliner and and figuring out more ways to become appealing to the gay underground and it, it just makes it seem like it's incredibly sexual base that to to be a gay guy you just gotta fuck another guy that's all it matters to and it, it really accumulates to this sexual point that that's not life or love i mean like sexuality itself obviously is really really important but just because you want to fuck somebody doesn't define your entire life and the way cruising i mean when i watched the movie it really makes it seem like he went to a gay bar and now all of a sudden is a leather daddy and it's it's even to like the leather daddy subculture that's really disrespectful i'm sure there's a lot you have to do before that you can't just go to a bar you can't just have like a piss flag and say you like it you you with any subculture you can't become a punk you have to like prove that you're not a fucking poser you can't just all of a sudden how do you know? People. How do you? That's the thing. Are you? Well, uh, like, like, what's the? You go into a leather bar. You wear leather. It's like here I am. I'm. I'm. I've assimilated. 
Well, he's out as his opposer quite early on with his um, his his yellow handkerchief in the wrong pocket. Exactly for the, to be pissed on. He wants to watch, but he doesn't know how to watch. So it's like, how do you even become part of the subculture? Friedkin makes it seem like you just go to a bar. Apparently, like you, um, th- those scenes might have been out of order because um, when he because um, Powers Booth has already explained it all to him. Uh, um, yeah, by that point, shot. yeah, yeah. So, so, he, but then he goes in and he gets in the wrong pocket, so he looks like a fucking idiot. But um, yeah, what threw me with that scene is they 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 do this detailed scene of which pocket you put it in, and then the guy that approaches him has it around his neck. What does that mean? What what, what do you look just general pee guy? There's too many questions that are brought up in in the movie, even in sequences like that of. Am I supposed to know the P code? Do I need to know this? Do I do I have to know? And it, it, it's such an impo- like it's a fucking scene. It's a full part of the movie where you have to learn about this, and it never shows up again. <laughs> I mean, not once in the movie does anyone wearing a fucking bandana play into the actual plot and point. Well, there's a um, there's a YouTuber called Dave. Is it Davey Wavy? Gay YouTuber, Canadian. And he did a, like an exp- a, a very telling video about all the handkerchiefs. And I remember he rang up a um, a shop that sold them all, and the response he said, "Hey, can I um, can I buy all the handkerchiefs?" And the response was, "Well, all of them, even the brown ones, of course. Yeah. The brown ones being scat, yeah, of course." Coming soon to the Death by DVD store, every single brown uh, t-shirt ever. You're you're gonna get it soon. Use code. God, yeah. Use code cruising for ten percent off. <laughs> Death by DVD hankies, do you want to be pissed on? Well, we're going to help you. It's weird. When you, when you listen to the uh, the Friedkin commentaries, he's like, uh, he's very like, on the one hand, like, you know, I just wanted to make uh, a murder mystery in this scene. And, you know, on the, on the other hand, very... Not that there's anything wrong with that, <laughs> like, mm. you know? and it's like uh, it's 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 a tricky one because I mean, like I mean it it is an exploitation movie, and it, it and it is showing um, the lover bars as being um, uh, uh, to put it generously um, mm. exotic, um, but does it portray them as being all that bad? I mean, you know, mm-hmm. they seem like people there are having fun and they listen to the gyms, like, you know, like, uh, may- maybe, maybe the bad guy is Al Pacino because he's, you know, because he's a fucking weirdo that, uh, whatever. He's the outsider. You know, he, he, he came into a subculture and that might be a really unique point with this entirely is looking at the fact that we have a, a giallo movie the 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 typical black gloved killer and we're aware throughout the movie there is a killer but our villain is the outsider they are arbitrarily ruining the culture that them coming in them even the piss flag thing wearing it in the wrong pocket it, it's an extent of abusing and, and appropriating this culture that he completely doesn't understand for what his own means and his own means are nailing people to the cross that may or may not be guilty that you, you have a, an eloquence between 
Paul Sorvino and Al Pacino where there's a line of dialogue of like, well, I didn't know you were going to finger him that bad. You, 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 you pushed the things too far. You beat somebody that was innocent. I'm not doing this to send somebody that's innocent to prison just because they are fucking gay. And that it's spoken once like that. That should have been the, the, the point of the movie. I'm not going to send someone to prison because they're gay. That could have been the whole thing. I don't know. I, I kind of, again, I kind of like the confusion that it isn't, though, because you've got um, this investigation, which is complete chaos, um, led by cops that are dreadful, mm. um, that are forced to resolve it, whether or not the resolution is an actual resolution, um, and forcing this guy in who sort of, like, has a moral quandary but may end up being a fucking serial killer by the end of it i love the fucking uh, i love the mess of it <laughs> well i mean that's that's a beautiful thing with the end of this film is we don't know if the killer was caught one of them might have been uh, who knows if he was the first killer we've got somebody who doesn't know who they are and that's the absolute fear and animosity of this it's not scream it's not michael myers it's not the fucking ghost face it's not leather face it's somebody completely clad in the culture and that's the offensive part i guess is is like al pacino's character being able to walk into this and identify and become a part of it as to where the killer has been been cursed by whatever he feels he's cursed by. William Friedkin, he's a fucking guy. <laughs> he makes some movies. Yeah, I mean, I mean, could you have done this same movie and set it in another subculture? I mean, could yeah. it have been? Could could it have been? Uh, you know, someone's coming to hardcore punk shows and like, like, like killing people. You know, is it? Uh, so Al Pacino has to go undercover wearing like a, you know, a patch jacket and uh, get some piercings. <laughs> like, you know, it's, uh... I don't think it could work any other way than, than the way it worked. I mean, you have that one year and it, it's, it's kind of shocking and, and horrific itself that this movie came out one year before AIDS became a boom and it sounds like we're talking about some release of a video game a a fucking virus appeared out of nowhere and and just wiped people out just absolutely destroyed and killed and and just ruined people's entire existence for for generations and generations one person just got wasted by this virus and it has devastated thousands and millions of families and and you've got this unknown shape this this person with no face this idea that somebody is out there killing their own quote unquote type because they can't deal with it you have no elaboration with the movie and it, it to me is the most horrifying thing because he 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 made aids before it was aids a a nightmare I mean, that's really what makes cruising so uncomfortable is you watch the end of the film and it's like, well, what? And that's all you're left with. What? And then you have to to, 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 to revel in the revelations of what you've seen. Did he do this? And you don't know. You have no absolution. Neither do 
thousands and millions of mothers and brothers and cousins and sisters of trans and gay people and AIDS victims that don't fucking know what happened to their family. People, uh, you guys were bringing up earlier the absolute evil nature of the police being shown in this movie. The Joe Spinell character, these people that took advantage of other human beings, raped them, pillaged them, threw them to side, and then had the audacity to say there was a serial killer. I mean, that's that's really the beauty with cruising is... Sure, somebody was killing, but how much of the blame is is to the killer? How much is it to society? How much is it to the people that to this day will will not accept a gay man as uh, an equal? Like he he fucking went to the diving board, jumped a couple times, and left all this up in the air. And then the end of the movie, Pacino looks right in the camera, kind of telling you, "Yeah, think about it yourself." And that, I mean, that's fucking beautiful, though. That's perfect. Like, that's, you, there is no absolution. We don't know who killed anybody. We don't know shit. We leave the movie with, with the exact same knowledge when we came into the movie, which is fuck all nothing. And that makes cruising so much fucking better than an average evangelical, but I mean, I can't, I can't keep saying I love this movie without, uh, equally admitting the offenses people can have with it but uh, I don't know it's great it's um, like any film that's considered like, you know defending Gone with the Wind or defending you know the films that are considered problematic how do you uh... it just becomes a strange point of what you're trying to defend I think is is what's bizarre with cruising is is if you try to defend this movie you're almost left in the same problem our characters or any character with even the boys in the band at the end of the day are left and who are you and what are you trying to defend like what hill am i dying on i don't know but god watch cruising or don't <laughs> i mean it might offend you and i hope it does it's, it's like 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 you've been saying throughout like cruising is an american jello jello are exploitation movies and they're very pretty but they're they're, exploit- they're exploitation movies. They're indefensible to people who want to say that they're sexist or whatever. But um, uh, I, I guess the uh, the difference with Cruising is, um, although he's making an exploitation movie, it's an exploitation movie which like uh, just puts everyone through the ringer and leads you back to. Um, the same sort of quest well the same sort of statement rather um but uh it leaves you with in the boys of the band is uh i don't understand any of it i never did and what difference can be made from any other friedkin film i mean that's that's a beautiful place for us to end here because you gotta look at at what we're aiming at we started this whole thing as a half-assed shotgun of you know what here are the two best william friedkin movies I still stand by it, Sorcerer, and to live and die in L.A. And as we move deeper and deeper into things, it, it, it really comes back to that. To live and die in L.A. may be a perfect, absolute movie. You look at the translation of these characters and what happens to them at the end of the day. It is the exact same message William Friedkin has had uh, throughout his entire career, even his really weird bullshit movies. In the late 90s, he made these, like, like he did two back-to-back. 
fucking well not back to back but he made two propaganda movies he did he made a movie with Tommy Lee Jones and then he made another movie with Tommy Lee Jones and Benicio Del Toro and both of them deal in absolute facts and when you when you try and break down what these absolute facts are every single point of William Friedkin's career has gone down to is it right or is it wrong? And then he leaves you with this weird animosity of, well, it's up to you to decide. And it's hurtful. Like, watching the end of... To live and die... God damn it. Watching the end of Cruising is is a painful, weird expression because you've gone through this whole movie and you expect that there's going to be some sort of end. You think that you're, you're going to have comfort or you're going to figure out the the end to these murders that there there's going to be hope that these people their their parents their family their friends are going to have some sort of absolution the boys in the band the door closes and that's cruising it just it just focuses on the killer walking away every police officer every single person that that couldn't represent who they are is that character at the end of the movie walking away and that little jingle of of their keys we're all the killer Friedkin hates all of us and god and god hates all of us too i don't know <laughs> That's the end of the show. God hates all of us. William Friedkin. You thought you were going to get something out of this. No. We didn't get anything out of this. All of us have spent days watching William Friedkin movies and we're all depressed. No, There's I'm nothing not. to well, take. I'm chuffed. I, I had a fucking lovely time. And I was uh, chuffed in an event. <laughs> to an uh, extent. Yeah, like, I, I, I'm, you know, I, I, it's, well... Freakin' is in his own words thinks there's there's good and bad in everybody. That's that's why he's mates with cops and the mafia, mafia. and and priests. Friedkin himself, I don't think the guy has never not had integrity. The boys in the band is is so many years, light years before its time, and you look at something like cruising. I really think he had a a mathematical level of what he was attempting to make available to the audience. And I think he wanted people to see a very specific thing between the the development of these characters. And we hit on something really beautiful with this episode is is looking at the boys in the band and that character, Michael, who, who struggles with themselves and is refusing to allow themselves to admit who they are, whether it be because of their parents' life, whatever reasons are why you are closeting yourself to use that term that's cruising was this character gay the whole time does it matter the outcome of of what the portrayal is i think isn't necessarily sexual based or sexuality based rather but pertaining to not not being you like no no one in his movies ever it's not ah fuck i'm just like i'm i'm biting my own tail here but it's not the sexuality makes a huge point but i mean even the fucking exorcist what what's the kid's sexuality has to play in it she she's not anything it's it's the good versus evil dichotomy of fucking chasing your own tail yeah i mean it really is the oberdobros thing that's every single facet of his movies he's just managed to i mean god he he did a comedy film with 
uh, Chevy Chase and Sigourney Weaver that was was the exact same movie. It's just chasing politics, chasing wrong and right. But what is wrong and right? I don't know. I'm fucking... I've gotten so far off my ramble. <laughs> It's a weird thing with Freakin, though. He comes from his uh, sort of documentary background, so he has this sort of like documentary framing, but then he filmed a bunch of plays, so he has that mm -hmm. kind of like staginess to it. And then he sort of moves into kind of like, well, exploitation pictures, like with cruising. So it's a weird sort of time capsule versus exploitation movie and uh and it's interesting the way those two elements rub up against each other and quite literally i don't think he <laughs> is specifically against anyone but i don't think william freakin's for anyone either no i mean like like i mean he said it himself and um and i fully believe him he, he didn't care he just thought it was uh an interest well he, he didn't care about the story at all until mm -hmm. uh, he found out there was a serial killer in the exorcist <laughs> and he was just like oh this is you know this this is home. yeah no this is no it's just like th th this is um the the powers that be trying to make this make me make this movie and then he, and then his friend that was a um a policeman in a similar um uh operation to Pacino's character um, and then sort of how could he not in in a way but then but yeah but then I don't think he gets enough um, I don't think he gets enough attention you know for these films that um, he's done I mean The Exorcist is regarded as one of the great yeah. horror um, as I said earlier The Boys in the Band goes under the radar uh, Sorcerer is getting a lot more attention now. Mark Commode has spoken uh, about the brilliance yeah. of the film. I did. I don't think you know. You talk about these great filmmakers, these famous filmmakers. I I, I know the name, yeah. but I think if you are, you know, we asked a survey of a hundred people on the street. Who is yeah. William Friedkin? Is he a cook? Is he a director? Is he an artist? Is he well a, a scuba diver? And it's like, well, <laughs> well, <laughs> Mr. Friedkin is well, uh, well, yeah. Um... Uh, going back to the point mm -hmm. I was making, like, like um, the reason The Exorcist is so good is leading up to the horror segments. It's filmed in such a sort of matter of fact documentary mm -hmm. style. Um, I, well, that's where he's so good at is is like sort of laying the groundwork um, to bring you into the, you know, the more. Uh, fantastical elements but like in cruising the fantastical element was like you know a is leather the, bar is the fetish <laughs> which is the fetish fantasy which, which yeah. was, was purportedly a real thing at the time but uh... i mean you, you truly have the fear of the unknown i mean how many people can say that they can live the way they want to and when you look at some of these characters in this movie especially the killer the 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 Stewie character, as he hates to be called, 
he can at least say he does what he wants to. Most people can't dress the way they want to, have the balls to go to a bar and, and dress a certain way. You have something really unique, and I, I, I think it's a, a, a drastic look at personalization and the evolving people are not willing to do. People can exist a certain way their entire lives and they will not admit it. They will not deal with it. They will not accept who they are and what Friedkin has put on the table specifically with the two films we've discussed tonight is just that subject matter. We have two lead characters that will do anything but address what they are. And it's not a bad thing. It's not a horrific thing. It's not an ugly thing. They won't do... And it doesn't matter what it is. That's what fucking is beautiful about it. It does not matter. Uh, there's a, a film William Friedkin did about a year and a half before both of... Oh, both of these. He did a year, uh, year and a half before The Boys in the Band. And it's called The Birthday Party. And it is a movie that stars Robert Shaw. He's a, a very displeasing curmudgeon who lives alone at a shoreside resort that he has paid for a room at and two people come and find him and the play aside has very specific subject matter but when you focus on this film it is Robert Shaw being attacked the entire time for something we don't even know why he was something and he possibly was an IRA member and left the IRA you strip that and you move it away, you, you you have the exact same subject matter in every single film. Even The Exorcist, the character of Reagan, this child that is searching for something that she doesn't know. She's a child. She is stripped away from her reality, her parents, her mom's famous, her dad is on the other side of the world, no one's with her. Then you can even move into the fucking priest character. Everything is loneliness, and that is... is 100% reality, that's that's what we all are, every person stretches for it. You look at people on Instagram and TikTok just fighting, just, just absolutely killing themselves to have new videos every hour, something to keep the content up. There is no, no soul, there are no people, no one has no idea of who they are, and then you've got this fucking movie where some cop walks into a gay bar and that's him. You gotta look at where those come from. Who has an identity? Who knows where they come from? You like punk rock, but I mean, are you some 1977 punk? No, no one is. You, you're lost in some weird translation of life and existence and, and no one, I think, boldly I'll say, knows who the fuck they are. And then you have these movies, like like the entirety of William Friedkin. It's a, it's a roller coaster up and down of, of dealing with that. He has managed to make that feeling, make that ferocity, that unknown fear. I mean, it's an absolute fear. It's the scariest fucking thing in the world to not know who you are. Friedkin made that a career. It's fucking great. I mean, it's 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 beyond devastating and beautiful. You look at the end of this movie. I I find it terrifying. I think Cruising has one of the most terrifying, absolute Toby Hooper Texas Chainsaw Massacre perfect fucking horror movie endings. The killer is all of us. That's it. We're we're all all the bad guy. Every single one of us that participated in this. And, I mean, 
to me, I, I take the killer as AIDS, even though it's a predecessor to it. So I'm looking at the movie at a certain angle. But if anything, the epidemic, the, the mass amount of deaths, the plague that was AIDS was 100% caused by people that would not accept other people. It was treated like it it was a gay disease, and that is just disgusting that the culture of humanity has that for its legacy. We we treated our own brothers, sisters, cousins, mothers, family like animals because it was a gay disease. And I think cruising is, is a capitalization almost on that fear of the unknown, just the absolute xenophobia. There was my ending thing. <laughs> Every now and again I have one. There, there it was. I'm sorry. But that kind of wraps things up. It really cruising itself is a really odd movie to get a feeling for. It it it's at the I feel increasingly difficult. I I want to love this movie. I would say it's one of my favorite films, but at the same time, I feel disgusted saying something like "I love cruising." It's such a good movie, but that's kind of perfect. I mean that that really makes it a a perfect movie that you feel ashamed that you would show your friends this but at the same time it's like yeah no i'm gonna i'm gonna get my gay friends so we can talk about this movie <laughs> yes yeah, sorry <laughs> no I'm sorry. no no that's no I, I was happy to i was happy to talk on any um on any film I'm, i'd like to think of myself as a film but i'm happy to oh you express my opinion. i mean you're you're a professional reviewer well, you're so. flat you're flat well you're fucking beautiful this has been probably my favorite episode in years of of doing this and talking about it because we actually had something to say and it all came from fear that that linus and i were actually afraid of doing this movie well we we have to have a gay person we can't talk about it and now we have somebody so close to us that makes the show better and it had nothing to do with sexuality like fucking Friedkin it, it was a misinterpretation I couldn't talk about this movie I'm gonna offend gay people now we have made something or offended gay people I don't fucking know maybe <laughs> <laughs> well wait for the wait for the we'll hate to roll in <laughs> oh yeah that's gonna be interesting to uh yeah Someone will be mad that we made a joke about bringing a gay person onto the show to discuss these movies, I'm sure. But I... I, I, I mean, it, to be honest, it, 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 it is kind of cynical, in a way. <laughs> well, we like, come to it. I, if I was offended, I certainly wouldn't have um, come. No. Was, you know, of course. Well, no, I, I know. I think it worked, like, beautifully, like, against us, that we, we were so worried about something, and now we've had, I mean, for me, a better fucking recording than, than ever before, because we were afraid of stuff. Like, it, it made us actually speak about ourselves. I think we've all spoken very honestly in this. I don't think I need to give you my... The, oh, you know, the green light. To, oh, here we are. Talk about how you really. No, 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 no. That's no, all. No, I've enjoyed the. I've yeah, enjoyed the calendar. Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah, like you know, you spoke really well, and it was good. Did I? You <laughs> surprised me. You've got the, the, the whole body of William Friedkin, and I think we managed to uncover something along the lines that 
pushes the dirt away from the trail of who William Friedkin is. This guy, he's a fucking enigma wrapped in a shroud. I mean, that's a, a stupid statement to say, but William Friedkin has... He's, he's never had a point. He's never had a direction. He's never said, I'm going to make you do this. I'm going to make you watch this. All of his films have been so beautifully open to interpretation. I dare say The Boys in the Pand is, is one of the most beautiful open films that any human being can watch. I think it should be a top five quintessential watch for anyone. For one, the movie is shot absolutely elegantly it is one location and between that you move into two rooms that you could never tell that were one location you've got a beautiful color palette and you've got the most absolute expertise of acting everyone that was involved in that movie brings it forward and makes it feel like you were sitting in the room with them it's 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 devastatingly beautiful and then you've got something like cruising equally devastatingly beautiful there's not one point in that film i don't feel that i'm a part of it's ugly it's it's vain it's hurtful it encompasses every facet that you want out of a traditional horror movie you can look at the texas chainsaw massacre the a masterpiece by toby hooper compare it to something like cruising it is all there. Everything you love about Italian giallo, everything you love about murder mysteries in general. Cruising is a quintessential film that truly makes you question reality. And the really interesting and beautiful thing that I think we managed to talk about tonight is the differences between every angle you can look at this movie. It's offensive. It's raw. It should be. That, that's that's what art is. You should be offended. You should be shocked. You should feel fucking something. And every single example of human emotion is available to you widely by watching Cruising, William Friedkin. And you gotta be Friedkin crazy if you think this is the end of Friedkin Month. Maybe we'll carry it on for a year. I don't care. I just don't care. I am Harry Scott Sullivan. You've been listening to the Linus Fitness Center and James Ellis. Do me a favor. Don't be a cunt. Check out Weeping Tutor. Google it. Find it. YouTube. Find us on Facebook, because I'm going to post the living shit out of it every single day of this week. And that is the end. You have been listening to Death by DVD. The ashtray is full, and the bottle is empty. DVD is recorded in front of a dead studio audience. Portions of today's programming have been mechanically reproduced. Thank you for going cruising with Death by DVD. Goodbye. Death by DVD is broadcast from on top of Blue Crystal Sunshine Mountain in any town USA with transmitters on top of the Empire State Building.
staff wish you a pleasant good night and good morning. Oh, man, the... Oh, my God.